Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, we've started a series concerning the new reality. For the last few weeks now, as we've been going through the book of Romans, we've been looking at the whole issue of, first of all, the need for Jesus and how he saves us through faith. And now we're looking at the whole issue of what do we do with that salvation? What do we do with that faith? Because so oftentimes we have, as believers a misunderstanding, false assumption, wrong assumptions concerning the issue of salvation in our life. One of the false assumptions that so many of us operate on is that salvation is just simply taking care of things after I die. Salvation is simply just for when I die later on. And we've talked before about this many times that how many of you are thinking about death? Not very many of us. Not very many of us at all. See, the reality of the Christian life is not just for later on. Eternity did not, does not begin later on when you die. Eternity began the moment you got saved. You became an eternal being at that moment. And so the salvation that you have been given is to be lived out here as well as later on. And so last week we looked at living out that new life. This week we're going to talk about you being a servant. Actually, the Bible uses the word slave, so I thought I would just kind of soften it a little bit and use the word servant. That you become a a living servant, that you live as a servant to God. Paul's terminology is that you live as a slave to God, but you know, in our mind we think of slave, we think of, boy, it sounds like my work situation. But that's not what we're talking about here, so that's why I use the term servant. And so what we're going to see here is that as a part of that new reality is that you and I understand that we're serving someone. Let's serve the right one. You're serving someone with your life, whether you realize it or not. Let's serve the right person. So notice with me the passage. We're going to look at verse 15 through 23 today and understand what it is to live as a servant of God. Again, he starts off with another question. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though we were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness, of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were freed in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then? in the things of which you are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you will have fruit to holiness, and the end, everlasting life. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The first thing I want you to notice as we look at verses 15 and 16 is that there is a wrong assumption. There's a wrong assumption that's going on here concerning the Christian life, concerning the salvation that you and I have. We've already dealt with one wrong assumption, and this one kind of piggybacks on what we talked about last week. There is a wrong assumption that goes on with you and I as believers because of the forgiveness that we've been given in Jesus Christ. And here's what that wrong assumption is. Some believe that they were free, they were free to sin. Some believe that they were free to sin. You actually might be this person. You actually might be thinking that because Jesus died for me, Jesus has given me forgiveness from sin, I have accepted Jesus Christ into my life as my Savior, I now can do whatever I want to do, I'm free to live as I want to live, because I have forgiveness past, present, and future. That's a wrong assumption. Look at how Paul says it. He says it this way in the question. What then? Shall we sin because we are no longer... We're not under the law, but under grace. Notice how he responds to that thinking. Certainly not. Some translations put it this way. May it never be. See, the issue is, and I want you to understand here, is that you have not been given freedom to just do whatever you want to do. I haven't been given that freedom. Oh, I'd like that freedom. But see, God says, and here's the point I want you to understand, God says that even though you're saved, you just can't do whatever you want to do because that's not good for you. Hey, I'll give you a practical example. One I'm very familiar with. Doctors tell me, George, you can't eat cheeseburgers every day. You may enjoy them. They may taste good. You may even like the atmosphere of McDonald's. But if you keep eating that stuff all the time, all the time, all the time, you're going to face the consequences and you can't remove the consequences. So you might be thinking, I have forgiveness. I can just do what I want to do. God forgives me. You know what? There may be forgiveness. But forgiveness is not the removal of the consequences. You may want to write that one down. Forgiveness is not the removal of the consequences. Forgiveness is not the removal of the consequences. You can't remove yourself from the consequences. There are certain laws that are in effect, health-wise, certain laws that are in effect in your life. And it is a wrong assumption for you and I to think that we're just free to do whatever we want to do because we've been forgiven that. You can't remove those consequences. You can't remove them. You can't remove them. In fact, Paul goes on in verse 16 and tells us something that you and I need to understand, and that's this, that actions reveal our loyalties. Actions reveal our loyalties. Do you realize that, you know, just simply saying to people, you know, I love Jesus, I go to church, I'm a Christian, that doesn't mean anything to most people on the street. Because what most people on the street are looking at are not your words. Because anybody can say anything, right? What most people on the street are looking at is how are you living your life? And look at what Paul says in verse 16. Notice what he says there. He says this, And do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey. See, whoever you present yourself, that is, whoever you present your body to, 
as a slave to obey. You're that person's slave. And so then he gives you, verse 16, two choices. He says this, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. See, your actions reveal where your loyalties are. See, and if you love Jesus, you love God, you've committed yourself to Him, that's going to be reflected in your life if that's really where you're at. But if that's not where you're at, your actions reveal your loyalties. Let me share with you this psalm. It's not found in your Bible, so don't look for it. It was typewritten. It was found by a Long Beach police officer in a telephone booth. An unknown dope addict, lost in the dream world of heroin, wrote the following. King heroin is my shepherd. I shall always want him. He maketh me to lie down in gutters. He leadeth me besides troubled water. He destroys my soul. He leads me in the path of wickedness for the effort's sake. Yea, I shall walk in the valley of poverty. I will fear all evil, for thou, heroine, are always with me. You strip my table of groceries in the presence of my family. You rob my head of reason. My cup of sorrow runs over continually. Surely this heroin addiction shall stalk me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the damned forever. That is someone who told you who they're a slave to. They're a slave to a drug. See, you and I are a slave to something. And it's a wrong assumption to just think, I can just do whatever I want to do. I can just do whatever, I'm saved. I'm okay. No, 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 you don't understand. Paul tells us that very clearly, you're a slave to whom you serve. And you're either a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you're a slave to obedience, which lives to life. So you need to ask yourself, are you operating under a wrong assumption this morning? Are you operating on a wrong assumption? So let's look at the, if we're going to be a slave to Christ, if we're going to be a servant of His, let's look at verse 17 through 18, because now He responds and tells us what it means to be a slave to Christ. The first thing, notice what it says in verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Here's what He says. For those of us who are enslaved to Christ, here's what He says. Your what? Your hearts responded, your hearts responded to the gospel. Your hearts responded to the gospel. See, when you let your heart respond to Jesus and to the salvation he offers you, not because of anything you've done or can do or whatever else, but just simply what Jesus has done, when you respond to that in faith, when you hear that, your heart leaps and says yes, and you accept that into your life. You become enslaved to Jesus. In fact, that's the next point he makes in verse 18. Notice what he says. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Look at what he says now here. The next point I want you to see is this. Being freed from sin. Being freed from sin, we became God's servants. Being freed from sin, we became God's servants. Here, I want you to understand something. I want everybody to recognize Look at the person next to you and say, I'm a slave. Look at the person next to you and say that. Turn next to him and say, I'm a slave. Everybody say that. Now, we don't like that, do we? Now, some of you 
spouses are saying, yes, I am. Now, we're not talking about that either. But here's what I want you to see. In our American mindset, in our rugged individualism as an American, we're a slave to no one. Right? Am I right? Well, I'm going to remind you of something. That may be true of you as an American, but as you as a Christian, you are a slave to someone. You are a slave to God. And the reason why you're a slave to Him is, is that He bought you. He freed you from the bondage of sin, and so now you become His servant instead. You become enslaved to Him. Now, I'll be honest with you. If you had to choose between Jesus and a heroin addiction, I think I would choose Jesus, wouldn't you? If you had to choose Jesus and an addiction to alcohol, I think I would choose Jesus. Now, that sounds easy for me to say that, but that's really not that simple, is it? See, Jesus has to be the one to free you from all of that so that you can become his servant. He's got to be the one to free you from that so that you can become his servant. And see, that's what it means to be enslaved to Christ, is that it's no longer just me to do my own thing. I belong to somebody. You know, i got four kids, and they, they carry my last name. And they, they just, you can ask them, can you guys do whatever you want to do? They'll probably say, no. Ask your kids. First of all, I hope that they can't do everything they just want to do. Although there are some that do that. There are certain expectations that come with the name, right? Some of you remember, there were certain expectations that were placed on you because you carried the name. Maybe you even had a parent that said to you, if you're not going to act right, don't even carry my name. And so listen, I'm going to be honest with you. You as a Christian, it's not just you. You got placed into a family. You got placed into a relationship with someone who owns you now, and that's who? Jesus. So being free from sin, we became God's servant. So, now what does that mean? What's the practical implications of that? We're going to look at that the rest of our time this morning. And that's in verses 19 through 23. Let's look, first of all, to verse 19. Notice what he says there. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. So let me just stop for a moment. This is not a point, but I want you to understand. Paul recognizes that you and I got a problem. You know what it is? It's this. A body. You know, your body has more control of you than you realize. All you have to do is try this. How many of you have ever fasted before? Don't raise your hand. Just think in your mind, yes or no. How many of you have ever fasted spiritually before? Taking a time out to fast. You know, it's tough to do that. Because something's always screaming at you, It's lunchtime! And it isn't a voice. It's your body. And you re- when you fast, you begin to realize how much control your body has over you. And so Paul says, I speak to you in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Now that's what he says now. Verse 19. For just as you have presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now your members as slaves of righteousness or holiness. Here's what he's saying. And then I'll give you the point. He's saying, just like before you became a Christian, you did whatever you wanted to do, whatever your body wanted you to do. So if you just felt like doing something because you thought that would make you feel good, you did it. Just like that, you presented your members to lawlessness. You presented your body to unrighteousness. You presented your body to whatever what was wrong. Just like that before salvation, now because of salvation, here's the point. 
Serve God rather than sin. Serve God rather than sin. Just like you would just do whatever your body wanted to do because you were a slave to your body. And I think, listen, I don't, I'm not talking about, hopefully I'm not talking up here because I think everybody understands being a slave to your body, right? Right? Ladies, you understand what I'm talking about? Guys, you understand what I'm talking about? You don't know what I'm talking about? Just drive over to Walmart, walk through the candy section. I'm serious. You'll begin to know how much your body is in control. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, that's the point. Rather than serving that old self, that old, the sin, he's saying now, serve God. Get up in the morning and say to him, Lord, just like I did this morning when I went for a walk, Lord, not my will, not what I want, but Lord, what you want. And Lord, as much as I want that, you've got to help me do it too, because I can't do it without you. I just want to do what I want to do. Serve God rather than sin. Chuck Colson says this from his book, Living God. Christianity is not just some high-sounding ritual which we perform on Sundays. Christianity is abiding by biblical standards of personal holiness and in turn seeking to bring that holiness into society in which we live. It's not just coming here. This doesn't make you a holy Christian just being here this morning. It's you choosing to live each day serving God with your life and affecting the life of others around you. Serve God rather than sin. The other thing is this. He wants us to understand. Now, I want you to look with me now at verse 20, 21. Look what he says there. For when you were slaves of sin, talking about your past life, you were free in regard to righteousness. You didn't have to worry about righteousness. You could just do whatever you wanted to do, he says there. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Here's what he said. The fruit of sin brings shame and death. I don't think I've got to spend a lot of time explaining that one. Ask yourself. Don't raise your hand. Ask yourself, do I understand what shame is? I think everybody here can look in the closets of their life and they can look back at something that they are ashamed of because of an action that you have done because at the moment it just seemed like the thing to do. But the fruit of that action, the pleasure may have been momentary, but the shame seems eternal, doesn't it? Thankfully it isn't, but it seems eternal. See, that's what he's trying to tell us here. You serve God rather than sin because you've got to understand something. When it comes to you just doing what you want to do, when it comes to you just wanting to serve whatever your body wants to do, what it wants you to sin, you've got to understand that the fruit of that, and they tell you, it always has a fruit. Always has a fruit. The fruit of that is going to bring what? Shame and death. Oh, how we will live with the regrets, don't we? Oh, how... And listen, I'm going to be honest with you. You want to forget him? I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to be able to until Jesus comes. Can I tell you why? Because you've got an enemy that will constantly remind you, remind you, remind you, remind you. Oh, don't you remember what you did back then? Yeah. I do remember. I do remember. See, that's why God... See, I want to understand... Here, let, me, let me help you grasp something here. Here's a practical point. You've got to grasp it. When God tells you to do something, He's not trying to make your life miserable. He's not trying to 
just, oh, he's just wanting to just rob the joy from my life, rob the pleasure, just keep me from having fun. No. He's the heavenly father who sees the bigger picture. And what he wants to rob you of are the consequences. He wants to rob you of the shame. He wants to rob you of the guilt. He wants to rob you of broken lives. He wants to rob you of families that are destroyed. He wants to rob you of pain and misery. He wants to keep you from those things that he knows are going to be detrimental to you. So that's why he says, don't do this. So here's what we say. Well, I know better, God. And then we shake our heads like, why is this happening to me? Where were you, God? Don't you remember he was the one that told you not to? When you decided to go on your own, he let you. See, what's he, what he's telling us is, is, look, guys, serve God. Serve God. Serve God. I'll make a profound statement here. I, profound to me, but I'll make it. You look at people around you, and they're just doing their own thing. They just, and you look and you say, man, I'm restricted by my Christianity. But if you really look, you're not restricted at all. You're free. And you think, and I think back and I think, oh, Lord, thank you that you're saved. Thank you that you say Because the fruit of it, heartache, misery, pain, hopelessness, the fruit of it is shame. But so many of us, here's an interesting story, a taxi driver in New York City. Here's what he did with his garbage. You know, you're driving around a taxi cab. After a while, garbage accumulates. What he would do is he would place his garbage in nice gift boxes from department stores. Then he would lay that nice package with all his garbage on the back seat of the cab. He said, uh, it works. I watched one woman in my rearview mirror. She spent five minutes trying to stuff that box into her shopping bag. We can imagine her thoughts as she got home and unwrapped the package to find an empty Coke can, some candy bar wrappers, and whoever knows what else you find in a taxi cab. At her heart, she was a thief. And she demonstrated that before her own eyes, that what is gained by sin is not worth the price that is paid for it. It would have been the same had the package contained a thousand dollars. Nothing is gained by sin. Nothing is worth the price paid for it. The heart may be thumping while the package is being stuffed into a shopping bag, but the disgust will come later when the package is truly open. Fruit of sin brings shame. So if you find a nice little package in the taxi cab you take it to New York City, I advise you not to pick it up. See, it comes down to one thing, and here's the final point he makes here. Verse 23, notice what he says this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It comes down to this. It is a question of life or death. How are you going to live your life? How are you going to live your life? You going to do your own thing? You've answered that question. How are you going to live your life? Are you going to serve God with your life? Let me just stop for a moment, because when I say serve God, immediately in your mind you're thinking, George wants me to be a missionary to Botswana. No. George wants you to just do what God wants you to do in obedience to him each day of your life. Because that's what God wants. It comes down to a question of 
life or death. Are you going to do what he says because he knows that he has your best interest at heart? Or are you going to do what you want to do and just face the consequences of that? Let me just point this out. You write this one down in the margin. There is no promise to remove the consequences. You're not going to find one in the Bible. You are not going to find in the Bible a promise to take away the consequences. I've looked. It's not there. It's not there. So it comes down to a question of life or death. So in conclusion, let me just give you three things to think about. Ask yourself this first question. Look at your life. and Be honest. Look at you. Picture in your mind you living throughout the day, whether it's at the workplace, whether it's at home, with your spouse, with your family, at Walmart. Ask yourself this question. What do your actions reveal? What do your actions reveal? What do they reveal? Do they reveal that you are a slave to sin? Or do they reveal that you're a servant to God? Now, if you're having problems answering that question yourself, maybe you'll be bold enough to ask somebody else. Like, maybe ask your unsaved neighbor next door. I don't suggest you do that unless you really want a good answer. But you only do that if you can't answer it yourself. And I think if we're truly honest with ourselves, we can answer that ourselves, can we not? Can we not? What do your actions reveal? The second thing I want you to notice, and it's a question, and that's this. Are you a slave of Christ? Are you a slave of Christ? You don't like the word slave substituted for servant. But are you a servant of God in your life? Does what God wants for you matter more than anything else than what you think is the right thing to do? This class, I tell you, you're probably wondering, why don't you go to Lynchburg? I went to Lynchburg to take a course on prayer all week, and and Dr. Towns made this powerful statement about when he was at Columbia Bible College. He said, I prayed many prayers for ladies that I thought would make a good wife. And he said, I am so glad that God did not answer those prayers. And I thought, you know what? Boy, I am so glad. As I thought, as I, when you listen to that, you're thinking, yeah, I prayed those same kind of prayers. Thank you, Jesus, that you say no. Thank you. Because you know what's better for my life than I do. And at that moment of immaturity and stupidity, as a young guy normally is, if I had, quote, got the woman that I thought was the right woman for me, where would I be today? I wouldn't be here. I might be dead. Or I might be in jail because I did her in. You're laughing, but that's true, isn't it? See, are you a slave of Christ because He knows better than you? He knows better than you. Are you a slave of His? You know what? If you're not, you need to be. You need to, the minute you wake up in the morning, it's not think, oh no, it's the alarm clock. You think, okay, God, you gave me another day. What do you want me to do? Then finally, present yourselves to him. Present yourself to him. Lord, here I am. Whether it's at work, whether it's in my home with my wife or my husband, use me. 
use me. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.